Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Earwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Our youth must become environmentally literate and accept the fact that we are in a climate crisis and that our climate patterns are changing. As but one example, they must understand that not only are the oceans warming, but so are our country's Great Lakes which will dramatically affect the health of Mother Earth. Today on American Indian Airwaves, an in-depth conversation on cancer awareness and the rights of Mother Earth, part two of a two-part keynote speech here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone food And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We want to remind listeners that KPFK could not exist without your continued support. And we ask all of you to show that support once again by helping financially donate to KPFK. One way to support the station and the wide range of diversified voices and perspectives that are brought to you by volunteer and paid programmers here at KPFK is becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member. You can simply visit the kpfk.org website, click on the donate widget, and make monthly dollar donations of your choice. We ask that listeners, despite trying times, continue to support public media, continue to support alternative media, and continue supporting the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves along with other programmers. Visit the kpfk.org website, become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member, or choose from a premium item, a thank you gift of your choice, by visiting the kpfk.org website. And now the first segment of today's program here on American Indian Airwaves with Native American people more likely to get certain cancers compared to non-Hispanic white people and compared to white women, Native American women have higher rates of getting liver, stomach, kidney, colorectal, and cervical cancer. We look at cancer awareness and prevention within the Crow Nation. The Crow Nation is located within the politically defined borders of the state of Montana. In the first segment of today's program, executive producer Marcus Lopez speaks with Alma McCormick of the Crow Nation. She's executive director of Messengers for Health, a nonprofit organization working on indigenous health care, well-being and awareness, and particularly cancer. And now the interview. And we're speaking with Alma McCormick, who is from the popular known as the Crow Nation, but they call themselves the Upsalaquit, from their own language. Alma, thank you very much 
for joining us. You are you're the organization which we'll be talking about is called Messengers for Health. It's about health education outreach for the Crow people. Now, you've been involved since a long time, in 1996. Alma, please tell us, how did you get started? Okay. So, first of all, I always like to share that the passion that I have in my heart to, to help my people in their health and wellness comes from losing a little twin daughter to cancer. And that was back in 1985. And from that experience, you know, just gave me that passion. And when in 1996, actually, it's uh, when I got involved with the state uh, Montana Cancer Control Program, because at that time, uh, many of our Native women were not going in for cancer screening. And many of our Native women were dying from cervical cancer, which is a type of cancer that can be prevented when it's found early. And so it was at that time in 1996 that I met, uh, she's a professor and a researcher from Montana State University, Bozeman, uh, Suzanne Hale. And she was involved with the state, the cancer control program. And so we met and, you know, from that time, you know, it was in her heart as well to maybe start something that was just specific to our Crow women. And it was in my heart and it was my prayer. And so when this uh, uh, researcher, Suzanne, was eligible to apply for uh, funding from the American Cancer Society uh, that would address cervical cancer amongst Native American women, she asked me first, do you think this will work with the Crow woman? And I said, yes, I believe it will. And so then she came, traveled three hours from Bozeman, Montana, to, to meet me and a couple of other Crow, Crow Indian women. And we just sat around the table and we sh she listened to us, how could this program work? If, we, if I was to apply for some funding to develop a, a, a program here to address cervical cancer, what would it look like? And so we told her that it would really take somebody from the community, a Crow woman, that would be the one to talk with other women. And that's how we got the title, the name Messenger. It's like a lay health advisor, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's one of, we didn't uh, refer to them as a lay health advisor. They were messengers. And that, again, then we would utilize our own cultural strengths and our, and our resources. And so that's how Messengers for Health came about. We started out in 2001 uh, as a community-based participatory uh, research project. And, and um, we were able to, to, to gain the trust. Uh, this researcher, I, I, I'm still working with her to this day. She, she, uh, her heart was open. We were able to work together equally, listening to the community's voice. And it showed it, it was effective. Crow women began going in, having um, the pap test screening for cervical cancer. And it impacted the men folks as well. And the men folks were kind of wondering, hey, what about us? And so we knew that, you know, when the funding was coming to a close, which I'll tell you, American Cancer Society funded us for two uh, rounds of funding, five-year rounds. So we're talking almost like 10 years of funding. And it gave us, it allowed us that time to build the trust because we had to overcome cultural taboos and, you know, many things in order to make a breakthrough in cancer awareness in the Crow community. And so 
so very thankful. But once, you know, the, the funding was, as it was kind of coming towards, you know, the last several years, we began some strategic planning that we want to continue uh, the services. We need to reach out to the men as well. So what would be the best way to do this? And after consulting with people and getting some advice, and we decided becoming a, a nonprofit would be our best route. So in 2010, we became a 501c3 nonprofit. So it's pretty unique for a Native uh, American project that was a research project and then to transition into a nonprofit. And becoming a nonprofit gives us that liberty, that ability to continue our services, expand it to more people, and then to address other health issues that are important to our community. Well, Alma, thank you so much. You, you've explained it very well. But tell us, tell the listeners, how many people are we talking about? How many women are they? How, what, what is uh, the improvement before, let's say, before uh, the organization, before the Messengers for Health? What's the difference? How your organization improve the Absoloke people? the Crow Nation, how was it improved that? Why don't you just give us some statistics on that, please? Okay, so I'll tell you what, what, what was, there was a shift, okay? There was a shift in the way women thought, you know, just gaining a little bit of knowledge about why this exam, the PAP test exam was important. So just once they received that knowledge, they started going in and then it spread by word of mouth. And and so to tell you the truth, it's that little bit of basic knowledge. And I'm, and I, I can speak for the Crow women, but also even nationally, it just seemed like once, you know, once it, it, women were just receiving that knowledge, you know, more uh, Native American women were going in. And, and thanks to the Montana Cancer Control Program, which pays for the pap test and mammogram, when women don't have insurance or their insurance doesn't cover it, and, and they uh, meet the income guideline levels, well, then they're covered. And so we were working, partnering with uh, the, the state screening program as well. And so we began to see, you know, more women gradually in the state of Montana and for, for the Crow women. Now, what happened was, see, cultural taboos I had mentioned. See, in the Crow language, there's not really a word for cancer. And before the outreach, and even as a little girl growing up, I would overhear a conversation. You know, I speak the Crow language. You know, many of us still speak our language. And I would hear them uh, refer to it as Balenem Chavish. When they, when I heard that phrase, I knew they were talking about cancer. And I knew that the person that they were talking about was going to die. And the interpretation of that is the dreadful, awful disease. That's how we described it. Our language is very descriptive. So mm -hmm. we described cancer as malayanem khabish. So that was, you know, once someone was diagnosed with that, that was it. There was no hope. They were going to die. And these people, these cancer people that were diagnosed, they didn't talk about it. They kind of withdrew. You know, no one knew, maybe even just within the family. And and then after the the outreach, we noticed cancer survivors began sharing their story in public. And that was a breakthrough right there. 
And then in our, in our language, the words we speak are sacred. We can speak something out and we can bring it upon ourselves. So we didn't want to say the word cancer. When we developed our first brochures, community members said, we don't want to see cancer on the front page of that brochure. In fact, you know, we, we don't want to say it because if we speak it out, we might bring it upon ourselves. Mm. But through the, through the outreach, through the education, through just gaining knowledge, we were able to overcome that we can say this word and we're not going to bring it upon ourselves. And it's okay. We have to speak it out. So when we began, you know, when the, when the breakthrough came, pretty soon we could say, we could say it, we could speak it. And, and then we were in the Crow Fair celebration, our big annual powwow. We're in the parade, our program. On our float, we had a big banner that says Cancer Awareness in Indian Country. And that was it. You know, we can do that. And then, and so it, it went out to where we have to talk about it. We, we, we've got to share. This is too important. And then our cancer survivors, they got involved with our program. They were our messengers, some of them. They served on our advisory board. And then they began speaking their story in, in public and um, at events. And, and then uh, our messengers, when we first, before they first went out in the community to educate other women, we had to do, have them do role playing, how to talk about this, you know, to women and how to get them to maybe be, be, get interested in going in and having an exam. And so, but once the word went out, once one Crow woman and a few Crow women went in, found out that this is important, I need to do this. I can see a woman doctor if I want to. It's not embarrassing. I have to do this. And that this is a cancer that I don't have to die from. Then they began spreading it. See, that's how our relational, how we care for one another, our close kinship. Our clan system structure. If I'm gonna, if I receive something valuable, I want to share it with someone because I love and care for my, my family, my relatives, and they, it started going by word of mouth. And so pretty soon, when I'm like in public, me just walking in the parking lot, going into the grocery store, women were coming up to me saying, "Hey, I need for you to schedule me appointment. How can I get scheduled?" So see, it shifted to where. We didn't even have to ask women. They started asking us and seeking us out. And that was the shift. And that's what awareness can do. And you're listening to Alma McCormick. She's executive director of Messengers for Health, speaking on cancer awareness and cancer prevention within the Crow Nation. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. Now back to the interview. Alma reminds reminds me of especially with dealing with Native nations and Native peoples, that you originally focused on culturally appropriate ways to do it. And like what you're explaining that those cultural ways, that's only works for you. I mean, it works for your community. Maybe other communities do a little differently. I wanted to ask you when on your, not only on your website, is the, the buy Nalhe project, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but what is that project? Banila, and that in, the Crow, that, that in the Crow language, that means go give advice. That was our second research intervention. We started that about a little over five years ago, funded by the National Institutes of Health. And again, 
that came about because, you know, my research partner, you know, she, she, she just wanted to do research with us again after the, the cancer awareness. Then she wanted to do more research with us. So she contacted me like she did the first time, you know, I'd like to do research with you and whatever your community wants. I'd like to come down and sit with the board and have some discussion. And so that's what we did. And she just listened. The board pretty much kind of brainstormed about other issues that our community, our Crow people are facing. So once, once that happened, then we were able to um, come up with improving the health of, of our people, improving the health of anybody who's, who, who has any kind of chronic illness. The project in itself talks about how you, you talk through ways of coping with illness. And you're talking about forging beta relationship, about healthcare providers, maintain physical act, action, get adequate nutrition, getting uh, generally solving problems. What is a typical day for you and your organization? What does a typical day look like? Okay. Well, for right now, I mean, I know when we were running the, the project, I was really busy this, this uh, last research intervention, we used our cultural ways. Like I said, we were having, um, we, we recruited like 20 people who have a chronic illness, but there seemed, they seem to be managing their self-care. They facilitated, they recruited 20, there was well, 10, 10 mentors and they each recruited 20 participants. And then they were kind of randomly divided in two. And so the two groups of about 10 people, these participants would hold kind of support group gatherings every other week. And they went through seven of those. And so, and all that was based on interviews that I did with some individuals who shared their story with me. And they shared how, you know, their their struggles of taking care of themselves with their diabetes or whatever their health condition was. And so based on that, we were able to, that's how we developed this program. So this program was developed based on our culture they are values, our kinships, and these words of advice. So when someone provides words of advice, whether it's an elder, your grandfather, you know, that's, that's um, wisdom and knowledge that they're sharing with you from their own experiences. And you're to listen to those words and, and apply it to your life. And so it was very powerful. It was very effective. The, the way we set up the intervention, it, it, it just brought people together in a kind of a sharing circle uh, atmosphere and people were looking at the various topics on, you know, whether it's nutrition or, you know, uh, communicating better with their doctor. We, we, uh, we addressed even historical trauma and its impact on our, on our health, on our lives to, for me, which is the root cause of why our people are, you know, um, are dealing with issues today. And so, it was those kind of things that, you know, it, I was really busy, you know, myself and the other. We work with students, too, students that are mostly Native students and then some some non-Native that are working in the area of going to school for, you know, health, community health, or maybe becoming medical providers. And so those students from Bozeman come down. And so we have a research team with our community members and the staff and students and so we were very, very busy for a while. These past five years or so, and now we've we've we're we're done with that uh, intervention. So we're kind of working on some publications and kind of evaluating the results. Is what's going on? But I guess backing up here, we can talk about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, when that hit, 
last year in March and there was a shutdown. So for us, and that's one of the, to me, you know, the, the blessings I can, I can, I cannot describe it in any other way. Messengers for health. We still had some funding and resources at, at the time, you know, to continue, continue uh, trying to help the people and continue that, you know, that I was still able to get a paycheck and, and, and do the work that I do in, in, and so what, what can we do here? What, what, what's, what, all the things we've done in the community and up to this point now, the community members are in need. And so what I did was I developed some little video clips through our messenger's Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And I began to speak words of encouragement to our people in English and in the Crow language. I speak my Crow language. So that became very meaningful and powerful when you're sharing words of encouragement, because at that, at that time, the county that we live in and where the Crow Reservation lies is the Bighorn County here in Montana. We didn't have any cases of the coronavirus. So it's almost like, well, it's not really happening here. We're all rural. We're okay. We can just go around. We don't have to wear no face mask. We don't have to take precautions, but we have to let the people know. And so these video clips, we began reaching out utilizing social media to reach out to our community members. And then pretty soon, you know, uh, people started learning the importance of wearing that mask. We did some video clips where I'm talking with a doctor and he's talking. I'm, I'm like the host. It's like a host show and I'm talking with him, mm -hmm. you know, and then he's answering some questions and then I'm reiterating everything in the Crow language. And so, so then well, our uh, first uh, uh, diagnosis was Crow Indian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you yeah. have any cases in your uh, in Our first your diagnosis in Bighorn County was Crow Indian. And that kind of really woke up mm -hmm. the people. It really hit home then. And then people began to kind of shun some people and they and the people felt that strongly. The ones that were diagnosed, it's like they're shunned. Oh, those guys have it, you know. Stay away from them. But we had to again use the video clips. And that's on our messenger's Facebook page. I did a lot of those. You don't do that. We have to help one another. And we Alma, need to help each other. We need to pray for one another. Yes. Share with us, especially there are probably some Crow people, some Salogat uh, people within the Southern California people, uh, Southern California area, probably live in Southern California area from the Crow Reservation. Uh, what kind of what kind of words of encouragement you want to share with us on your language? Okay. Would you like me to speak in my co language? Yes. And then reiterate? Okay. Lagay, diwama lamu, kilagay, hinawale nesh, hilagesh, but chissa will get chi much. Sap to balay lachta keta, hilagay was chissa wak. Nawa baamale niku, diwak. A malewana lausch, diwak. Hilagay, hilenishpalakpago, ham kua malisabuk, um, chubakagwak, husala. So interpreting what I said, I said, you know, here we are faced with this, this sickness. We don't really know for sure. Nobody really knows, you know. Why it's come about, but 
even though we have strong spiritual spirituality, our, our faith, we still have to use wisdom. We need to follow the precautions, the guidelines that has been provided. And if one of you becomes sick, pray for one another, help one another. And we're going to see good to come out of this. And it's and it goes back to our hearts, a change of our hearts and good will come out of this. And that's what I shared. What are beautiful words of wisdom in your language and also from you? Your community must be very proud of you. And in fact, you are messengers for health. And especially you, Alma McCormick, received uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Award. And that was for health equity presented by the Community Campuses Partnership for Health. And that you received and that I know your community is very proud of you and also for the messages for health. Now, you talked about a little bit about, about COVID. You talked about the extreme differences of health in, uh, in Montana between white people and, and American Indians. Uh, talk about that for a second. Is there a large discrepancy? There, there was. And then it comes down to, again, you know, just kind of who we are and what we believe. And to tell you the truth, I mean, people just kept thinking, you know, the Crow people, they're, they're not taking this seriously. And, and so it was, it, it was, it was, um, I think, you know, just our people were, you know, this is, this isn't really, uh, you know, affecting us, but yet, yes, yes, it definitely was. And like I said, once we had that diagnosis, it started going and we have lost, I don't know the exact statistics. It's over, I don't know, 70 some people, maybe 75 people, crow people have died from this virus. And so, and we still have some people that have been diagnosed in the hospital right now that are requesting prayer. And so there's been a lot of grief. We've been heavy with grief in the crow nation due to this virus. And I believe that's where, you know, it's just been kind of an eye opener for us and to kind of follow the law of the land. Pretty much we, we need to um, follow it. Uh, we can't be rebellious towards it. Um, and so for me to see crow people walking around in the grocery store with a face mask, you know, that was kind of like, we have to do this. And we have, you know, so there was just really, you know, the, the, the difference there. And when, and then when the vaccination, the vaccines started to come out, there was reluctancy and I know one of the medical doctors, I mean, they wanted me to do a video clip right now to promote the vaccine, but I had to step back. I said, I need to find out more about this vaccine. There's been lots of misinformation, myths and whatnot going out through social media. And then even our people, you know, wondering, you know, hey, that's too soon. I mean, so at the same time, those people that really suffered from this virus that were in the hospital and that came out, they were right first in line standing there at the Indian Health Service to get their first shot. So I guess it wasn't really surprising, but in a way, I mean, people people kind of stepped into it because it began to just really open their eyes. Hey, this is real. I was affected. My family members, I've lost family members. I'm older now. I'm eligible. If I'm I need to I need to get this. And so they're standing in line. Um and they put it out on Facebook. Somebody took a picture and I see all the crow people standing in line to get their shot. And so what we did was we developed uh, working with some other partners from the Indian Health Service uh, and also from our local community health center here in Hardin that we partner with right here. This is a little town of Hardin that's just right adjacent to the Crow Reservation. 
and there's lots of co-people that live here. Anyway, we, we developed a brochure that has a picture of a crow, elder crow woman, you know, getting the, getting the vaccine. And then we, we used our, you know, our crow colors, our designs, and just made it very simple and clear and tried to kind of address some of the very questions and concerns that people were sharing with me. And I, I believe that was very helpful when I was giving out gas cards to help people get to their medical appointments. I'm giving them the brochure as well. So it's kind of, uh, again, it's just like, just like with the cancer awareness, they, we, we were kind of naive and didn't kind of, we weren't as knowledgeable as we should have been. So we, we straight, we, we step, step back from it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. But once we began to gain some knowledge, we stepped into it and say, Hey, I need to do this for myself. That's the same thing with this coronavirus, this pandemic right now. Hey, it's not going to bother me. You know, I have faith in the creator. He's going to protect me. But yes, I told him, yes, I have. I'm a woman of strong faith myself, but we have to use wisdom. And I think that's the key message that I've shared with people. Yes, we have faith, but we have to use wisdom. We've got to take these precautions. We've got to do what we have to do and just stay close, stay, stay, uh, in close, you know, fellowship, you know, even though social distancing, that was hard for us. <laughs> we can't, we want to be together, but we have, we've got to find, find ways. We've got to, you know, over the phone, even virtually, you know, we, we can reach out to our, to our people, to our loved ones and, and encourage them and pray with them and continue to share that love and concern that we have, especially during this time. And this is what I say, it's all about the heart. And that's what I've been sharing with my people. There's something going on here that's beyond what we see in the natural. There's a good work going on in our hearts. It's causing us to appreciate life. It's causing us to change our attitudes. And we're going to see good come out of this. Well, Alma, I met you through Strengthening the Circle, a native nonprofit leadership program last uh, week and i was amazed on your work i'm 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 further amazed at uh of you and of your spirit and of your strength and not only a good example of what you said what you said in your in your um web page about how you, the women are the heart of the community the women are, are the leadership and you're an example of that no doubt about it and i want to share that in your words uh of what you were saying now in ending how about the future what do you um and you mentioned a little bit about it but any last words as far as any hope for the future not only for the crow people but yet for all uh, our 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 boys and girls or engine boys and girls out there any um, particular things that you would want to communicate to them in reference to what's going on not only with pandemic but the future here as we go ahead okay i really foresee and i have a vision of that and i we i believe that's why we've been successful you know as i i see i see the vision of, of good things happening and and not only right here in the crow community but for other native nations as well. I see oppression kind of lifting off. I know there's um, oppression with our people and there's things that that we need to uh, work on and with our even our tribal administration it has been kind of in a little bit of turmoil um, lately these past few years where it seems like our our leaders our chairman you know they've been struggling to just kind of get reorganized but I strongly feel that once we begin to to see that it's really within our hearts and 
and uh, the inner healing that we need, then we can really come together. I see, I, I want to, I desire to see more of a unity amongst my people. Right now, one of the projects that we're working on is in the area of mental and emotional wellness, kind of the trauma-informed care, you might say. So healing, healing and overcoming historical trauma through forgiveness. Forgiveness is powerful. And we need, and I believe that with our strengths and our cultural ways, the resiliency that we have as Native people, as Crow people right now, that we can utilize that. We've been doing that in this program, utilizing our own cultural strengths to help ourselves to, to, to get it, go in for cancer screening, to take better care of ourselves. Well, a lot of our people need that inner healing. And that's, that's where we're headed right now too, is doing more work, working with individuals more one-on-one so that we can begin to guide them in that, on that path of inner healing and, and that, so that they can overcome, let go, not be bound down, that oppression will be lifted and that we can go forward and see better things see see uh, the crow people come together and work work collectively together instead of having the divisions that we've been seeing uh that it, it will change and that's my prayer i guess i'm kind of sharing words of my prayer uh with you right now thank you so much we're speaking to alma mccormick who started messengers for health which is an organization based in montana in the crow reservation they've been going on since well, before 2010, when you, like you said, you started your 501c3, how can people reach you? Well, we have our website, which I encourage people to go to, messengersforhealth.org. And I just put my, my cell number out there too, 406-665-5492. People can feel free to give me a call. But I know a lot of people, when they go to the, they visit our website, they, they really gain a lot of, you know, uh, what we've been doing. And then um, people have contacted me directly. And I also have, you know, uh, email and it's alma.mccormick at montana.edu. And so those are some of the avenues that people have used to uh, make contact with me. Alma, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and the knowledge that you have. And we're, I know within the communities, native communities, you are our, you are our present you are our past, but you also you are our future. Thank you so much for sharing all that what you shared with American Indian Airways and, and within the internet and with the Southern California community. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Aho. And that was Alma McCormick of the Crow Nation. She's executive director of the Messengers for Health nonprofit organization in the heart of the Crow Nation within the state of Montana. And if you appreciate the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves, along with other KPFK volunteer programmers, we ask that you continue to support the station by becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the donate widget and making monthly dollar denominations of your choice. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, and with May 5th of every year signifying Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Awareness Day, this is Tracy Lee Nelson, the song Kahija, here on American Indian Airwaves. I will never give up on you. Somebody took away Kahija. Somebody tore my heart apart Somebody's taking all our children
frozen memories rain an ocean of tears I can't stop this screaming my life is unclear I still hear her voice and her laughter is so clear I pray she is safe I pray she is near song Kahija by Tracy Lee Nelson here on American Indian Airwaves. We want to remind listeners that KPFK is currently in fun drive mode and we appreciate your past and continued support in supporting alternative public media. If you appreciate the work of the volunteer programmers, including us here on American Indian Airwaves and the diversified range of voices and perspectives, we ask that you continue supporting KPFK by becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member. You can simply visit the kpfk.org website, click on the donate widget, and choose to make monthly donations in a dollar amount of your choice. And we appreciate listener support of American Indian Airwaves and volunteer programmers here on KPFK. We ask that you continue to reciprocate the reciprocity by supporting the station here at kpfk.org and becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the donate widget and choosing to donate of a dollar denomination of your choice on a monthly basis. And now in the second part of today's program here on American Indian Airwaves, we return back to Dr. Henrietta Mann from the Cheyenne Nation. She is an elder, activist, scholar, founder of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribal College, endowed chair in Native American Studies at Montana State University, and is current board chair of the Board of Directors for the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples. 
She was the keynote speaker this past April 19th of 2021 at the Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program which focused on the rights of Mother Earth. In now part two of a two-part keynote speech on the rights of Mother Earth by Dr. Henrietta Mann. There was a delicate order to life, and indigenous philosophers and scientists transmitted this traditional ecological knowledge to their nation's people. That knowledge was passed from generation to generation. It still is, but we have become a minority in this great, beautiful, sacred land that we were first to love as Chama Wustanil. Throughout time, life has changed more so in the 500 plus years. We've seen dramatic change. Today, April 19th, 2021, we have but a short time in which to restore the earth to balance and institute solutions to the crisis of climate change. This year's theme for Earth Day is Restore Higher Earth. Restore Higher Earth, a very realistic worldwide declaration because our Earth has a right to be restored. Not only must we focus on restoration, but we must, as I mentioned in the video, become climate warriors climate protectors, and defend the rights of Mother Earth as first woman. Restoration is one of the fundamental rights of Mother Earth. Today, there is an intensification of a rights of nature movement, which acknowledges the basic right of everything that exists in this natural world from a microcosmic organism to the vast bodies of water that make up three-fourths of Earth's surface, five oceans and others, but mainly the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian, the Arctic, and the Antarctic or Southern Oceans, five major oceans. We know as indigenous people that we live in a vast ocean of relations in which everything is related to everything else in the universe. We know that we live in an interconnected system of kinfolk. All my relations is much more than a three-word phrase. It acknowledges the kinship of all life. It encompasses the myriad of Earth's life forms, all of them. It includes the humans of four colors, the white, the red, the yellow, and the black. It encompasses all the plants, all of the animals, all the birds, all the volcanoes and the mountains, all the bodies of water, on and on. It encompasses the sun, the moon, and stars. We live in a vast interconnected system of relations of kinfolk. Stated another way, the world community acknowledges a kin relationship among all of the bountiful different peoples 
of our incomparably, incomparably abundant Mother Earth. She has so many children, so many different children. All things are her, and we are her. Traditional ecological knowledge describes worldviews that honored, loved, respected, and accorded everything in the universe an equal place in the sacred earth circle of life. Our grandparents taught us that. They acknowledged that. We know, because we have that phrase, all my relations. As our kinspeople, the Lakota, say in our language, we say, all my relations. And in this view, nothing or no one is superior to or inferior to any life form of Earth. Just as humans, Earth and all our relatives of Earth have a right to life, protection, and freedom from destruction, pollution, infection, and exploitation. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to part two of a two-part keynote speech by Dr. Henrietta Mann from the Southern Cheyenne Nation. She's a longtime elder activist scholar and founder of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribal College and is Professor Emeritus at Montana State University and is a current board chair of the Board of Directors for the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples. She spoke this past April 19th of 2021 for the Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program which thematically focused on the rights of Mother Earth. And now back to Dr. Henrietta Mann on part two of the rights of Mother Earth. Indigenous thinking has always emphasized the right of all life forms to exist as co-equal and equally divine partners on earth. In September of 2008, Ecuador, where one of our board members resides and is his home, Dr. Luis Marcus, but his country, Ecuador, in 2008, became the first country to officially adopt the rights of nature in its constitution. The constitutional article acknowledges that like humans, nature has inalienable rights and has the right to exist, persist, maintain, and regenerate its vital cycles. And with this constitutional mandate, nature is no longer considered to be property, but has the status of a legal person and is subject to environmental protection. Others include New Zealand, Aotearoa, which has granted its river, the Wanganganui River, and accuse me, Morning Star, for not saying that correctly, but that river has the legal rights of a human being. The Maoris say, I am the river, and the river is me. In much the same way that Cheyennes say, I am earth, and earth is me. Colombia has provided legal rights of personhood to the Atreto River, 
All other rivers in Bangladesh have been granted personhood. In 2006, Tama Aqua Borough in Pennsylvania passed a rights of nature ordinance over the area's ecosystems, which were degraded by sewage sludge on their farmlands. And in so doing, this borough became the first community in the United States and in the world to extend the rights of nature over its area's ecosystems. And in 2015, the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin, the people of the sacred voice, became the first indigenous nation to amend its constitution to include the rights of nature. They say they have always respected the earth and are just one part of nature, not the center. This acknowledgement of the rights of nature movement is significant in terms of protecting the environment. It is also important to note its similarity to indigenous thinking, to the thinking of Khamawustanil, this land's indigenous peoples. They are similar in terms of ongoing interdependence and the carrying out of our stewardship responsibilities that were taken from us. However, as indigenous peoples, we maintain the health of Mother Earth in our ceremonies, especially our world renewal ceremonies, such as those that are held in the high country of Northern California at Chimney Rock. We strengthen our relationship with all life and renew the world through ceremony. We have never forgotten that edict, our ceremonies through which we renew the world. And such ceremonies take place at specific sacred sites or in specially constructed structures where prayers, songs, dancing, and sacrifice take place. For we know that earth is our altar. Earth is the altar and the place from where we send out our prayers to the great directions. We participate in ceremony because of our love for family and our great love we have for our first mother, our spiritual mother, the earth. It is our sacred way of keeping Mother Earth alive and maintaining our stewardship responsibilities. We must teach our, the younger generations our ceremonies so they too can maintain the age-old ways of safekeeping this earth, a trust given to our ancestors at creation. I was looking at some earth facts, planet earth, and they say they're in response to the question, how old is the earth? The scientists respond that it's about 5 billion, with a B, 5 billion years old. Think how long we have carried this mandate of stewardship for Earth as indigenous peoples of this land. Those responsibilities given at creation so long ago. Our children must be become proactive about holding countries, states, and municipalities accountable to their responsibilities of protecting the rights of nature. Furthermore, when required, 
they may have to defend nature, as did the land defender, defenders and water protectors at Standing Rock. The fact remains that human actions are creating a less than perfect world in which our children and grandchildren must live. We must educate our youth about the reality of climate change and global warming. We must state our youth and educate them about the real reality of climate change and global warming. If we don't teach them, who's going to teach them? They must become climate activists like Takata Iron Eyes, Lakota, and Greta Thunberg, Swedish. Our youth must become environmentally literate and accept the fact that we are in a climate crisis and that our climate patterns are changing. As but one example, they must understand that not only are the oceans warming, but so are our country's Great Lakes, which will dramatically affect the health, the health of Mother Earth. The 2010 World People's Conference on Climate Change and the Rights of Mother Earth, which was held in Bolivia, formulated a universal declaration of the rights of Mother Earth. They declared that Mother Earth is a living being, something that we know as indigenous peoples. And some of the 10 inherent rights of Mother Earth and all beings of which she is composed are the right to life and to exist. The right to life and to exist. I think some of our brothers and sisters need to learn that those in power. The earth has a right to maintain her identity and integrity as a distinct self-regulating and interrelated being. She has the right to water as a source of life. She has a right to clean air. She has the right to be free from contamination, pollution, and toxic or radioactive waste. And she has the right to full and prompt restoration caused by human activities. These are just some of the rights of Mother Earth, which spell out basic principles in saving this generous, loving, beautiful, compassionate Earth Mother of Ayers. As Indigenous peoples, we are resilient. Indigenous peoples are resilient, strong, flexible, adaptable, and happy. And we must make certain that our youth develop these same character traits and develop climate resiliency. We are resilient people. So must our children and grandchildren be. Our children deserve to write the right to live in a healthy environment. Thus, we must utilize our cultural strengths and traditional traditional knowledge to restore environmental health. Remember also that our ancestors have thrown their prayers of protection forward over you for seven generations. We are people that who whose ancestors prayed for our continued life and vitality, our existence, and to maintain the beauty of our ways. We need to accept the fact that Earth is our one and only home. We have no place else to live. We have no other place to live except this beautiful blue marble. 
planet Earth, where we were lovingly placed to respectfully walk the road of life and to love and protect our first mother, the Earth. Thank you for being here. And thank you for giving me this honor of sharing some of my words with you. The moment of silence is over. And that was Dr. Henrietta Mann from the Cheyenne Nation. She's elder activist, scholar, and founder of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribal College, endowed chair in Native American Studies at Montana State University, and is a current board chair of the board of directors for the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples. She was speaking on the rights of Mother Earth, a keynote speech from this past April 19th at the Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program which focused on the rights of Mother Earth. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests for the entire hour, Alma McCormick and Dr. Henrietta Mann. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Ina, Tracy Lee Nelson, and the band Blackfire. We ask listeners to support KPFK by visiting the kpfk.org website and becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly dollar donations of your choice. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Silence is over.